chapter 8. I don't know if you all noticed, uh, we had another storm watch, tornado watch, uh, this past week. In fact, we're told that 12, 12, 12 tornadoes uh, touched down in Texas. Uh, apparently that brings our current count up to 39. Uh, and anytime there's a tornado watch uh, guaranteed or a major storm warning guaranteed, there, there's there on our TV and on our cell phones and internet and all that, we're, we're watching Pete Delkus. Anybody in here have a favorite weather guy? Come on, yell it out. Nobody has a favorite weather person? Pete Delkus. Nothing? No like friend frocks out here? Anyway, so we got Pete Delkus on and we're watching him and he's just super excited and he's telling about like minute by minute, this is what's going on and, and we're just like, okay, is it going to be another one, right? Like we're just getting ready. And it brings back, like, like storm reminiscing. You don't ever do any storm reminiscing, like thinking back on storms gone by. And, and uh, got us thinking about 2006. Like we had just moved to Texas. We were like brand new here. And um, oh, this major storm hits. Okay, we just had a newborn. We were like just going about our day. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm leaving the seminary. I'm driving. It's, it's late at night. I'm on Highway 30. My, this little Ranger pickup truck is like getting blown all over the road. And my little, my headlights so dim, like barely breaching the darkness. And my windshield wipers are, and I'm just trying to make out the lines, you know. And, and Madeline calls me like frantic. She's like, Pete Delkis told me to get in the safe room. And I was like, who's Pete Delkis? And she's like, I have no, he's the weather guy. And, and I was like, what's a safe room? And she's like, I have no idea. <laughs> okay, I just need to say this. I'm just going to throw this out here. There's a lot of people moving to Texas right now. Like a lot of people. And I just feel like there should be like a checkpoint. Like new to Texas, pull in here. And I feel like you should be able to pull in there and they should give you some information. Like first off, uh, this is barbecue. Here's a taste of brisket. You're like, oh, oh that's delicious. Thank you. And uh, by the way, just so you know, a vegetable is not a vegetable unless it has bacon. You're like, okay, bacon check. Um, and uh, here's sweet tea. Oh, bless your heart. Wow, that's great. Thank you. And, and, and by the way, wherever you end up living, uh, make sure that you, you have a room in your house that you go to, and you're going to call it your safe room, because every now and then the sky is going to try to eat you. Like, I feel like, I feel like Texans should be a little bit more open with this stuff. Anyway, so back to the night. So I'm getting off of a farm to market road, and no joke, no lights on. And I'm sitting there at the stop sign about to turn left and lightning strikes both sides of the street and the electrical pole and just shoots like cascading sparkles that look like a sparkler explosion. And I'm driving down this road and I get to the house and I pull up in front of the house and our trash can is flipping end over end down the road and I'm chasing it. And Madeline comes out, she's like, why are you chasing the trash can? I'm like, I don't know, but I got to get the trash can. So I'm dragging this trash can back and we get inside, we put bicycle helmets on and we're, we're getting the bathtub and we just ripped the mattress off of the bed and we're sitting in the bathtub like huddled, like where did we move? And I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I have no idea. But Pete was there. Yes, his sleeves were rolled up. <clears throat> and you want to know what it felt, it felt like? It felt very helpless. And in that very moment, we felt very powerless. And there's times in our spiritual life where following Jesus means we're going to face storms. And, and I'm talking like big, gnarly 
storms. And in those moments, we're going to be convinced, like, this is going to be the end. And it may just be the end. In, in, in two really significant ways. It may just be the end first of, of unbiblical expectations. It may be the end of unbiblical expectations. It may also be the end of self-sufficiency. The end of self-sufficiency. Well, with that uh, said, we're in Matthew's gospel. We're starting in verse 18, Matthew chapter 8. We read, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. That is the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And and so this is early Sunday morning, okay? Jesus just had a, a big day of ministry. We looked at that last week, a big Saturday. You know, he'd gone into the synagogue, and he had taught, and he'd healed a man that was demon-possessed, and he went over to Peter's house. His mother-in-law was lying sick with fever. He healed her. And then that night, crowds of people surrounded, filled the streets in Capernaum around Peter's house, and and he began to heal everyone. And we we saw the healing of the demon-possessed, and the sick, and the deaf, and the blind, and the lame, and the paralyzed, like the most ragged and messy group of people, and they were rejoicing, I've been healed, I've been healed. I mean, in that moment, we see Jesus' authority on display, authority over sickness, authority over death, authority over the demons. And this morning, we're going to see authority over creation. But all he had to do was speak a word or to touch a person, and they were not just healed. The Scriptures tell us that they were restored whole. And so they went to bed on Saturday night. Jesus got up early that Sunday morning, early, early, long before the sun came up. And he went out and he found a secluded place because he needed time away with his father. And and I just want to say this, Christians. Part of the reason why we get so weary and and, and so spiritually uh, like, like weak is because we're often not spending time just with our Father. In this hurried life, we're so busy, and everything is so important, everything is so big, and and we're like, oh, I'll get to that. But the thing that we say we're going to get to is the very thing we're literally starving and aching for. And so Jesus begins his morning with his Father in prayer, and and it is in that secluded place that everybody starts looking for Jesus. Jesus! And imagine Jesus is like, all right, Father. I'm ready. Bring him. Jesus. Everyone's looking for you. And the crowd gathers around Jesus, and it would have been really easy for Jesus to like set up shop there in Capernaum and be like the regional healer, maybe build a big auditorium and gather more and more people together. Like, this is great. But you know what? Jesus wasn't going to do that because Jesus had an appointment. He had a very important appointment across the Sea of Galilee on the other side. You see, there, was a, there were two men, demon-possessed, tormented, day and night, crying out, cutting themselves with stones. And, and, the, and the Lord had an appointment with them. Two apparently insignificant people. Like, we would have just been like, Jesus, why are you investing so much effort in these two men? Well, because these two men were actually going to become the great evangelists of the Decapolis. And the disciples didn't know that. Jesus just said, hey, we're going to go over to the other side of the lake. And the, and, and the disciples also didn't know that somewhere between 
that side of the lake and, and the other side of the lake, there was going to be a catastrophic storm. But as we read in Matthew 8, 23, when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. It's such a simple thing. But sometimes, I, I don't know about you, but I, I want the Lord to give me more data. Like, I want more information. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I wish that the Lord would just send me an email. Like, hey, Chris, Jesus here. Uh, I just wanted to let you know the spiritual weather report for the next few weeks. Uh, there's going to be a major storm hitting Rowlett. Don't worry. <laughs> it's going to be all good. Um, there's going to be a tree limb that hits your house. But just a short insurance claim later, you'll be back in business. Uh, you're going to find a little spot. And, and you're going to think, cancer, it's just a sunspot. It'll be all good. Uh, you're going to get super stressed. Next Thursday on 635, traffic jam. And, and you're going to be convinced, like, I'm going to make you late to the meeting. And it's going to be the end of the world. No bigs. You'll end up getting there by Thursday night. You'll be thinking it was no big deal. Um, other than that, next few weeks, pretty smooth. But next month, whoo, there is a huge storm coming. But nowhere I'll get you through that. Wouldn't that be great? Just to get that, that email, so we could plan. But no, the scriptures just say uh, when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. All they had was a command. Jesus did not give them any more information. And it's a very significant word to follow. Uh, Matthew, uh, more than any other gospel writers, references following. Like there's something very significant in that, and, and we can actually trace it back to its earliest usage in the Gospel of Matthew, found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. That as Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Peter, Peter and Andrew, Peter, who's going to be the great apostle Peter. Here he's just a fisher guy. He's just a fisherman. The apostle Peter, soon to be, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. By the way, fishing's really good right now in Rowlett. In case you haven't seen the cars parked there. And uh, some of you are now watching this sermon after the fact because you went fishing. I hope you're horribly convicted. <laughs> hope the fishing was good. It probably was. But they're casting a net into the sea. Because they're fishermen. And Jesus told them, he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You're going to have a change in occupation. And then immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and their boat with Zebedee, their father. This is Zebedee and sons fishing. You all heard of Zebedee and sons? It was huge. But Jesus calls them, and immediately they leave the family business because they just had a change in occupation, and they began following Jesus. It says immediately they left their boat and their father, and they started following Jesus. Jesus called them to follow. And very dramatically, they had no idea where they were going or what it would mean, but they left to follow. Family, that is the spiritual life. Jesus calls us to follow, so we follow. And it, what's interesting is when we begin following Jesus, we have these ideas like, oh, this is probably what I'm going to be called to do. Like, this is, I think this is the way we're going, and, and, and these are my gifts, and I, I think this is how Jesus is going to use me. And I just want to tell you, you're prob we're probably 100% wrong. 100% wrong. 
And then you look back and, and just see like the Lord's working in your life as you follow him and you go, I never would have seen that. But look what he did. And so at this moment, they leave everything to follow Jesus. And so this tells me that there are disciples that do. And there are disciples that don't. There are disciples that do. And there are disciples that don't. You see, there are disciples that are content to learn and, and kind of be around Jesus, but they will not follow. Did you know faith is an action word? Faith is action. And how is faith expressed? We follow. But as we saw last week, two disciples stepped up. The first one, like, bully, I will follow you anywhere, Jesus, to which Jesus said, Birds of the air have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's telling the man that following Jesus could be costly and it could mean poverty, and the man slipped back into the crowd. The cost was too high. Another man called a disciple, stepped up and said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but I, I can't do it right now. It's not convenient. Not long ago, I was talking to a father who was telling me about his kids. They play select sports, and oh my gosh, they travel all over the place, and we're all these different states, and oh, my kids are these amazing athletes, and he's sitting there, and he's bragging on his kids, and, but it's all Saturday, all Sunday. We travel. We're constantly going, so we just can't go to church. And I was like, wow, what an idol your children have become. What an idol sports have become. And he was telling me that it's going to go on for about 10 years. I can't go to church for 10 years. Family, that's idolatry. And as I listen to that, I, I think of this disciple who's like, I'll follow you, but I just can't do it right now. And I think of like, we think of the cost. We're like, it's so inconvenient at times, like to follow Jesus. And I'm like, but you know what? Not following Jesus will cost you in the end more than you wanted to pay. You will look back at all of the wasted time and you will be faced with the reality that you served yourself or you served something inherent to the created and not the creator. No one ever looks back with regret who follows Jesus with reckless abandonment. I have yet to meet a person who lives sold out 100% on fire for Christ, who reaches the end, who looks up and says, boy, I sure regret that. They're always like, I wish I could have given more. But not these disciples, the disciples that don't. They heard that and they kind of slip back into the crowd. But then there are disciples who do, where Jesus says, follow me, and they do. They just, they do that. They follow him. And Jesus promises to make them something they could never make of themselves. They were going to be in the family business, God's family business, reaching people. And so on this particular day, Jesus, he steps into the boat, and the disciples followed him. 
And they followed Jesus. They followed him right into the boat. And I'd imagine as they got in the boat, they probably thought it was going to be a pleasant Sunday afternoon sail across the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know if you ever wake up some mornings and you just feel great. You bound out of bed. You can't believe how good that cup of coffee tastes. You know, you leave the house, you're whistling. You get into the car and all of a sudden it's your favorite song. You're like, this is going to be a great day. And then come the evening, 12 hours later, and you're just army crawling across the threshold of the house. It's like collapsing. I never saw that coming. And behold. Verse 24. Anytime you read behold in Matthew's gospel, you're going to want to underline it. It's a literary device. It's, it's heightening expectation and, and tension. Something's about to happen. Matthew uses it 40 times in his gospel. And what it's doing is it's saying something is about to happen and you don't want to miss it. And behold, there arose, that is unexpectedly and without warning, a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Now, I'm told that there are great and powerful storms that will hit the Sea of Galilee without warning. Apparently, the hot air coming off of the desert will drop down to the colder, dense air coming from the Sea of Galilee itself. And when it meets, it meets at times in these catastrophic windstorms that literally come out of nowhere. But that's not just the Sea of Galilee, is it? Well, it's the sea of our very life. Now, things seem to be going... Uh, pretty smoothly, and then all of a sudden there's like a, a war in Ukraine, and there's like global tensions that are heightening, and like this fear and very real potential for like nuclear war, and people are like, is this World War III? And then, then there's like, okay, there's a lull, but there's a potential for another COVID outbreak, and there's like an increasing cost of everything. Like I was just reading a, an article that was talking about the cost of housing. Whoa! Like it's It's unbelievable how expensive houses are. Like I was reading also that used cars like up like 70 some odd percent. And we're talking about a Hyundai and I'm not making fun of Hyundais. I'm not making fun. It's a great car. But it's a Hyundai, right? You know? But they're up like 70% and in the cost of food and everything's increasing and maybe food shortages and there's all these fears and these anxieties and then there's crisis in our homes and in our marriages. Like real crisis, like real storms and there's real storms at our jobs and, and in our industry and we're looking around and like, what's going to happen? And then there's these like pressures and then the stressors of parenting and some of us are doing it as like a single parent and, and then the responsibility and the weight of carrying it all. And some of us have adult children who are, who are floundering or declining health or for whatever reason, you wake up and your body just revolts. Your knees are like, nope, not today. And we just get swamped and swallowed by it. And, and, and we ask, like, where is Jesus in all of this? And we read asleep. 
how could Jesus be asleep? I mean, the juxtaposition of this is jaw-dropping, right? Like, there's a catastrophic storm uh, raging, the boat is being swamped, the wind is screaming, the disciples are frantically rowing and bailing water, and, and Jesus is taking a nap. You know, this shows us a few things. One, one of my favorite things about this is it shows us Jesus' humanity as the Son of God, fully God but fully man. He was exhausted. And if you even look like a percentage of what he did on Saturday and how he got up early, yeah, he's tired. He like poured himself out. So he's taking a nap. This also shows me that Jesus was a really sound sleeper, Right? I don't know if you all knew that about Jesus, but he's like a really sound sleeper. I am not. Like, I hear a bug fart. I'm awake. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> no, not Jesus. He was a sound sleeper. And you know what this also shows me is that Jesus had no reason to fear. Whether calm or stormy seas, Jesus knew his purpose. He had not come to die in a storm on the sea. He had come to suffer and die on the cross for the world's sins. And check this out. When Jesus called these disciples, he called them to be fishers of men, not fish food. Y'all dig what I'm saying here? When Jesus called these disciples, he called them to be fishers of men, not fish food. But in the midst of the storm, we often can only see wind and waves, and we tend to lose sight of our Savior. Or we start believing things about our Savior that aren't true. Verse 25, and they went and they woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. I mean, the words are just like desperate. Yeah, we're going down, this is the end. In Mark's gospel, we get a fuller picture of this exchange. Mark uh, 4.38, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? We're going to die. And you don't care. Because if you cared, we would not be going through this. Do you, ever, do you ever think that? Do you ever get into a circumstance in your life and you're looking at the circumstance and you're like, There's, if God really cared about me, I wouldn't be going through this. If you really cared, and what it does is it, it starts to reveal these subtle heresies in our life. And the, the first subtle heresy is, is unbiblical expectations. Unbiblical expectations, like this deeply ingrained belief that somehow following Jesus should mean storm-free living, sickness-free living, suffering-free living. Like people aren't supposed to get sick and die. Getting older is supposed to be easier. Children aren't supposed to walk away from the Lord, and, and marriage and parenting should be easier. I was talking to a couple recently. They had new marriage smell. I mean, they were brand new. Like, brand spanking new. And, I, you know, I'd imagine in the wedding pictures, they were like... But a few months later, they were like, this isn't right. Like, it shouldn't be this hard. And I was like... <laughs> Welcome. Marriage has been waiting for you. Welcome to the lifelong cage match. <laughs> no one ever said it was going to be easy, and if they did, they were lying. They were tricking you. 
yeah, get married, it's easy. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but you know what? What it does is it refines you. And it makes you a better man. And it makes you a better woman. Don't quit. Just because it's hard, of course it's going to be hard. God takes two self-centered, self-focused individuals. And what's fascinating is we tend to look at the other person. You're being so selfish, which is crazy because we're selfish. You're so self-centered. Why can't you make it all about me? No, you're so self-centered. Why can't you make it all about me? I can't believe them. And what's actually happening is the Lord is revealing stuff that needs to die. Yeah. You see, the Lord never said this was going to be easy. It's an unbiblical expectation to think that things are supposed to be like easier or you're supposed to live your best life now. Your best life is later. He never said it was going to be easy. I mean, he promised us trouble, persecution, suffering, sacrifice. That all hurts a little bit, doesn't it? That, that unbiblical expectation, that, that little subtle heresy that kind of slips in. The second subtle heresy is, is self-sufficiency. Where we're convinced, like, I should be able to handle this. Like, I literally will have people say to me, you know, I, I don't want to bother God with the little stuff. You know what I mean? I, he's so, so busy. He's got so much going on. I, I, you know, if things get real sideways, I'll call on him. And, and I'm like, oh, you don't want to surrender to him. Oh. Because it sounds humble, but it's not. Because seeking him and dying to self and laying down self is costly. It's called surrender. And that's where the spiritual life begins. What we're actually saying is, I like taking responsibility for my life. It's my life. I'm in control. I'm powerful. I can handle this. And so the Lord graciously sends you a storm. Because he loves you. And he loves us. And in that storm, we are faced with the reality that, that we are not sufficient in ourselves. In fact, a true spiritual storm is when we are in circumstances that are way beyond our control. And we know it. And really, the only thing we have control over in this life is ourselves. We don't have control over another person. We don't have control over circumstances. We don't have control over world affairs and events. We don't have control over gas prices. We don't have control over, uh, I don't know, give me some other stuff we don't have control over. Anything? Our husbands. Thanks, babe. Which is true. And I have no control over my wife. You know? But we don't like that. We want to have control, but we don't have control. In fact, the only thing we have control over is ourselves. And in the storm, we have a choice. We really do have a choice. And the, and the choice is either faith or fear. We are either going to walk in faith or we are going to walk in fear. Those are the two options. But I guarantee when our fear is big, our faith is small. Direct correlation. But when our faith is big, no matter what we're going through, it's going to seem smaller. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little what? 
oh, you of little, small faith, why are you afraid? And when Jesus asks that, the obvious answer, the storm, the wind, the waves, the war, the news, the bank account, but those are not the reasons we're in fear. Mm -mm. The reason that we're in fear and the reason the disciples were so fearful at this moment is because their faith in Jesus was small. When we are filled with fear, it is because in that moment, our faith in Jesus is small. That is why Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. It is a phrase that's repeated multiple, time in, multiple times in Matthew's gospel. In, in Matthew 6.30, why are you anxious about tomorrow, oh, you of little faith? Why are you scared of the storm in Matthew 8.30, oh, you of little faith? Matthew 14, 31, why do you doubt? Literally, as Peter is walking on water. I think it would be so cool, just like, like get to Lake Ray Hubbard and just be like, hey, check this out. But he started to see wind and waves. And so his heart filled with doubt and fear. And then Matthew 16, 18, why do you worry about bread? The disciples were all caught up like, where are we going to get bread? Where are we going to get bread from? Where are we going to get bread? Jesus just literally fed like 10,000 people with like two little loaves and five, or five little loaves and two fish. And and they were like, where are we going to get bread? And Jesus was like, where's your faith? And what this shows me is that Jesus will continually put us in the school of faith. We are enrolled. And it's a learning lab. This life is a learning lab. And it'll put us out in season. It'll put us in circumstances intentionally where we have to grab a hold of him. And as we grow and as we learn more and more, we're going to walk more in faith. Look at Matthew 8, 26 again. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then Jesus rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was what? A great calm. This connects verse 24 to verse 26. Because in verse 24, we read there was a great storm and then there was a great calm. What was the difference maker there? Who was the difference maker? Jesus. You see, Jesus is the difference between a great storm and a great calm. And we want to look at the physical circumstances. We're looking at the storm, but please don't do that because Jesus was really speaking to the heart. Because the storm, where it's actually raging, we point outside of ourselves, but the storm of fear is raging within us. We have a great storm within us. And we want the circumstances to change, but Jesus stands up, he rebukes the heart. Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? And as we turn to him, that great storm of the heart is then replaced by a great calm, and we go... A peace that surpasses all understanding. Our faith is real. Jesus. Calm. Instantly the sea was calm and tranquil and the wind stopped. The sun came out and the men were confronted with a profound question. And the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this? that even winds and sea obey him. What sort of man is this? Who heals the sick and raises the dead and, and delivers the demonically possessed and oppressed. Who is this man? 
who heals the spiritually sick and sets free the addicted and, and heals scars and wounds that are so deep there was no way. Who is this man who calms the sea of our anxiety and quiets the constant noise of a troubled mind? Who is it who brings peace to the heart and teaches us profound kingdom truths that our souls are desperate for? Who is then this man? Who is the Son of God? Who is the Savior? Who is the Lord of heaven and earth? What is his name? What is his name? Come on, y'all. What is his name? Jesus. Jesus. And if that doesn't fill you with a greater sense of hope today, if that doesn't fill you with a greater sense of courage today, stop looking at the wind and the waves. Stop looking at the sea. Start looking to Jesus. He is the author and finisher of our faith. In fact, we are told in the scriptures we have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is the God of the last chance, the second chance, the no chance. He's the God who raises us up. He is the God who stills the storm. Praise God. Because you know what? His name is Jesus. And if you know Jesus today, I mean, you really know Jesus today, here's your spiritual principle. Quit stressing. Well, you have no idea what I'm going through. Stop. Stop focusing on the wind and the waves. He's going to take care of you. Be still and know that he is God. And I love how Matthew 8, 28 begins. It's so good. So good. This is where we pick up next week. This is so good. When he came to the other side. We're perishing. When he came to the other side. You're going to get to the other side of this. And for some of us today, maybe, maybe things are going great. And you're like, mm, I'm not really in the storm. Praise God. Don't start to strut just yet, because I'm sure Pete Delkis is going to come on soon. There's going to be something. <laughs> uh, but you're going to get to the other side. And, and I do want to say this. If you don't know Jesus today, none of these promises are yours. Not a single one. If you don't have a living, breathing, true, tangible faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, none of these promises are yours. You're left to sail the sea of this life all by yourself. And that means you will enter into every single day without a Savior, and you will enter into the hellish storm of eternity with no one to rescue and no one to set you free. It is a life or death proposition. There is no other savior of the world. There is no other person in the history of humanity who took your sin to the cross and died for you and suffered in your place and was buried in the grave and has risen from the grave and has offered eternal life to all who believe. There is no other person, no other name that can save you other than Jesus. I do not want to go a single second, a single minute, a single hour of a single day without my Jesus.
and you shouldn't either. It's time. It is time to give your life to Jesus. No more excuses. No more like delays. I'll do it when it's convenient. Two people got in a helicopter this week. Tragic. Crashed right in Rowlett. You think you have tomorrow. What a foolish assumption. You have this moment right now. Who then is this? His name is Jesus, and he is the Savior of the world, and allow him to be the Savior of your life. So, Lord, we thank you for this morning and, and the word, and, and oh, Jesus, I need this so badly. I needed this this week. Wind and waves, I, I'm just convinced, you know, it's just going down. And We're going to get to the other side. And like ultimately the other side, like into your presence and glory for eternity. If I was talking to you in this message and, and you know in your heart of hearts that you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you know it. I just want you to hear this. If you were to die at this very moment, you would not go to a better place. That is a lie. It is a lie designed to convince you that you're all good spiritually. But apart from faith in Jesus, you are not all good. You are separated from God because of your sin. The only way to be forgiven of your sin is to place your trust in Jesus. He is the one that suffered and died on the cross for your sins. He was the one who was buried, and he is the one who has risen. And the Bible declares that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So this is your opportunity. Will you allow Jesus to save you? If that is truly your heart's prayer, that you truly desire to give your life to Jesus and the quietness of your heart, tell him right now, Lord Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you've risen. Jesus, I confess I am a sinner in need of saving. Please, Jesus, save my life. If that is truly your prayer, please, Jesus, save my life. The Bible proclaims that through your humble surrender, you have passed from spiritual death to life. You are forever a son or daughter of the living God in every promise. Every promise we talked about this morning is yours. And there's so much more. Welcome to the family. Lord, I, I pray your special ministering grace, Holy Spirit, over the hearts and the minds today are gathered here, anxieties and worries and, and the inner chaos, the tornadoes that rage within. And, and uh, I just pray that you calm the storm. May there be a great calm in every heart in this place. Every heart that is listening right now or will listen later, bring great calm to our hearts. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, family, let's stand together. Mm. I cannot believe that I still get to be a part of the Lord's church. Like, I love church. Isn't church awesome? Yes. 
I love church. I love coming to church. I love seeing people at church. This is incredible. Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again, same time, same place next week. And do not forget, family, you are love. Now let's take that love, lavish it on one another, and let's go rock the streets with the love of Jesus. Amen? All right.